Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the Progeny Podcast. This week I am joined by Barak Hussein, an Iraqi Canadian psychotherapist known as the Muslim counselor on social media. On today's podcast, we'll be discussing mental health awareness, how you can help others struggling with mental health issues. We'll look at the relationship between faith and mental health and how we can encourage more people in the community to be involved in mental health and well-being. Thank you for joining us all the way from um, from Canada. Um, you're from Ottawa. Correct. Um, how is it different? How is how would you say Canada's different to the UK? Before we get into the the questions about your your experience in mental health and your how you've supported many different communities with that. Well, the weather first yeah, of all. The weather. Okay. I've been here both winter and summer, and when I've been here in the winter, uh, one year there happened to be a snowstorm here, and the country just shut down. Okay. So that's uh, different than in Canada where we can handle, let's say 50 centimeters snow, minus 30. We still go about our business, go to work here. The train stations shut down and everyone stays home. Everyone stays home. And so as a Canadian with the hearing about three centimeters snow and (laughs) snowstorms, it was quite funny and amusing. (laughs) Yeah. Is that the only difference you'd say? Oh, no, there's quite a bit to the way people speak. Of course, there's a different culture here, especially as Canadians, we tend to say hi to everybody. and we're, You're more friendly. I, I would say, but then I find it takes people a while to warm up here, but once you warm up, we're okay. Okay, alhamdulillah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start by asking you when you first uh, considered going into mental health as a career uh, and were your family uh, supportive of that? I started quite young with that. I was, um, you know, from a typical Iraqi background, you're either going to be an engineer or a doctor. So I was being groomed to go into medicine. I do enjoy the sciences, but I quickly realized it's not my strength. I was more into the social sciences and psychology and the the soft sciences. So my strengths uh, were in that area. And uh, when I uh, was heading into university, it was still pre-medical background and mm-hmm. I struggled with biochemistry organic chemistry that that was tough to to handle and I quickly realized that it was impacting my electives which were the psychology I wasn't doing as well because my attention was on those so I quickly realized you know we have our limits we have our strengths we have to go with the strengths and uh, I, I was quite lucky to, to find the program that I wanted to get into as opposed to trying to get into medicine, which I knew I wouldn't get into. Alhamdulillah, I, I got into the graduate studies I wanted. And so people would ask me, you know, what are you studying? And say psychology. And mm-hmm. so in Iraqi, I'm going to translate here. They say, you're, you're going to be just as crazy as those people that you're going to be treating. Yeah, <laughs> that's a misconception. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, people quickly say that and uh, they they don't realize how close it is to our culture and our faith to begin with. That's a problem they, that some communities uh, may have overcome that, but others where I wouldn't say they, they look down at people that are doing psychology, but they don't take it as serious as it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, were the community supportive of, of, of you going into that career? Or would you say um, they weren't really, you know, what they were saying comments like, you know, you're gonna you're gonna end up being crazy or something. You know, it, it was uh, at first 
they were surprised. They st I still got those comments and I still mm -hmm. do sometimes for well. those people who haven't been introduced to the idea of mental health. I would say overall, you know, my family was supportive. My dad at first was hesitant, mm -hmm. uh, but then alhamdulillah, he, he saw, you know, that there was work in the field um, and, and he sees the impact of the work that we're doing now. So he has a different view. People were resistant definitely at first, um, especially in terms of the public work that myself or my team in Ottawa, we have a, a team called the Serenity Islamic Mental Health Group. And so this group was developed in response to a few suicides that took place in our community. Wow. So with that, we had hoped to do more psychoeducational work around the topics of mental health to help our youth and our parents and just the community to understand, you know, that people don't need to suffer in silence, that you can reach out and get help. And so we did a series of workshops, simple ones to complex ones leading up to our first conference. This was five years ago. Okay, so how long have you been doing this? Uh, it's been five years now. Five years, mashallah. We're heading into our fifth year now. And... Uh, Alhamdulillah, um, it's been consistent with the projects that we have been doing around wellness, mental health, and bridging, you know, um, bridging between the, the Muslim faith and concepts related to wellness and mental health to psychology and, and mental health. So that, that, and we've worked with scholars, we've worked with different professionals of different backgrounds. So why are we seeing a huge increase in mental health issues? Um uh especially in the last decade. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's no one answer, but like different reasons like um, an overdiagnosis. Some people, you know, feel they're, they, they're, they're depressed or they're going through a mental health, health issues, but maybe they're not. Is it because there's actually an increase in mental health issues? Or do you think because there's more awareness about mental health that we've had more cases of mental health issues? And, and there is not one right answer for okay. this. It's a, there's a multitude, I would say. Yep. It could be because more people are becoming aware of the mm -hmm. issues or becoming aware that they could be struggling with something, so they're more likely to reach out and get support. There's more awareness of resources, who to go to. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would imagine that um, because of that, people perhaps are feeling safer um, because it's, mental health is becoming more normalized. And a lot of people not just myself, but a lot of other practitioners are reaching out to the community and doing all sorts of presentations and workshops and just to normalize what mental health and well-being is all about. So people could be feeling a little bit safer and they're realizing. And I, and I find that whenever, you know, we do events, a lot of folks come up and start asking questions. And so it's great that they are doing that. And then wherever I may be, then I would connect and uh, refer them to local supports. One of the groups uh, that I work with is the Serenity Islamic Mental Health Awareness Group mm -hmm. in Ottawa, which un unfortunately came about because of a, a, a response that we had to suicides um, mm -hmm. in our community. Alhamdulillah, this group uh, is heading into its fifth year this year, That's where uh, we've, we've done quite a bit of work over the last few years in regards to bringing awareness and mental health who are the practitioners? What is mental health? We explore topics on suicide, relationships, abuse, addiction. So basic things that we can all connect with family issues, struggles. And we've worked with local scholars as well as international speakers to normalize what is mental health. So I would say that that in Ottawa and, and other uh, sort, uh, resources and support services all over the place are... Uh, are opening up to that and and 
providing resources for the community and just making it safe for people and, and to go learn more about it. That's yeah. important. I think just the awareness is quite important. From your experience the last uh, five or so years, is there a particular group that suffer the most from um, mental health? And also is it because from what I've read uh, and I read this in the Mental Health Foundation UK that there seems to be um, women are like twice as likely to suffer from mental health problems than men. Um, is that the case? Have you seen that in, from your experience? So let's answer this in different parts. Yeah. The first part to it is, I would say no, in the sense that it's indiscriminate okay. of your background, your faith, your beliefs, your socioeconomic background as well. It, it can impact anybody, really. I ask because there's a misconception Yes. that, oh, okay, if you're from a religious background, because you mentioned faith now, then you, you know, you'll never get depressed. You'll never suffer because you know, you've got this, this faith that sort of supports you. That's why I ask this question. I, I don't know. I don't believe that's the case at okay. all. Uh, like I was saying, it's indiscriminate of that. I mean, mm -hmm. if you uh, are a person of faith and you break a leg, for example, and I've used this uh, example consistently for years now because we connect to physical uh, health more than, let's say, the mental health. But it, this idea seems to work. If you break a leg, are you going to go talk to a, a scholar or a sheikh. No, you're going to go to a doctor a who's going to help yeah, you with that, doctor. right? R regardless of your faith. Faith. You need a doctor to, you know, get an x-ray, put it back together, your leg so that it can heal properly. Now, in the process of that, of course, your faith helps. Of course. Right? So there's a variety of things that you can do to help you with your inner peace, your serenity, and just staying calm and relaxed and, and, and strengthening your your patience, I would say, during the process of it. Just like you would have any other physical illness, such as diabetes or cardiovascular diseases, do you not need to see a doctor? Do you see a doctor for that? Of course you do. And medications, but you also need to change your lifestyle. And included in that for people of faith, let's say, that aspect of their life. Now, there is an interesting correlation and a valid and a very important one as well, where studies have shown that the place of faith has a huge role to play okay. in your in your overall well-being. Mm -hmm. And we see more of that now with the rise of Muslim mental health uh, practitioners, research, conferences, journals, mashallah. That's just taken off over the last 10 to 15 years, I would say, because we see how important it is. And so this research now has shown the impact of that. For example, the effect of salah, how that Im impacts your physical and your mm -hmm. mental health. Okay. Yeah. Uh, from from the way I I see it, and I'm talking as an outsider who's not involved so much with with mental health, as in not involved with with with, with speaking about it. Or recently, I've started to read some articles, but it was a in our communities. I'm talking. It was a taboo topic where no one really wanted to speak about it, especially. And again, because I'm talking from from my background as an Iraqi where if you spoke about being depressed or you spoke about having a mental health issue, you were called mkhabbal, crazy right, person, right. and you were outcasted. To sort of now, the last, I'd say, three, five years, to it becoming a trend where people actually are speaking about it. And sometimes, sometimes I feel that um, 
it's become some people speak about it because it's cool to speak about it of course it. and it's, it's a trend it's a trend and uh, sometimes people are speaking about it when they're not the right people to speak about it let's not say who or say i'm talking in general sometimes mm-hmm. a center or organization may do an event but they don't they're doing it because it's a tr- the trend um, how important is it to actually find experts to come and speak about this firstly and how important is it to remove this idea of it being a taboo in our communities so in terms of in terms of taboo i, I would say you know that's changed over the last few years again because of the normalization of it in in the general public mm-hmm. of mental health and so that's trickled into diverse communities as well as ours so i i i would say it's less taboo now than it was five six seven eight, ten years ago alhamdulillah yeah. so the second part of your question there or was it the first the first about the, first. the experts I mean, just like you have, you know, physicists, you're not going to have somebody who doesn't have a PhD in physics come talk about uh, it it, from an expert point of view. Mm -hmm. You can have people who research on the topic or have lived experiences to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, we encourage everybody to do that. Why not? This is part of why it's less taboo, because more people are speaking about it. And that's great. Now, when you have experts, just like in any field, if you're a self-proclaimed expert, you know, there's a problem with that because let's say there's an audience and you're not an expert in the field and you're speaking about a topic, you could trigger somebody and that's happened a few times. Somebody could be triggered by the sensitive topics and then you don't know how to deal with that. I'm I'm all for people of all backgrounds, of course, supporting the idea, talking about it mm-hmm. um, and even having events. Just make sure you have somebody on hand, a counselor or an expert in the background who's there for support. In the audience. I mean, how else are we supposed to normalize? And, and mashallah, you see a huge rise in that within our community speakers, scholars, sheikhs, uh, alimas, you know, they're talking about it because they see how important it is in our faith. It, they see that it is part of our faith. And this is part of normalizing it, I would say, worldwide. Again, the idea of the expert, forget mental health, forget Islam, any field. Any field, yeah. Of any course. field, of yeah. course, right? It just makes sense. Right. We have to be careful how we're going to be talking about it um, because there's a difference when you are speaking about the topic than when you are speaking about it as a practitioner, mm. right? And how you deal with patients and clients and how the topic presented could potentially trigger a response in the audience, right? And and how to cope and deal with that. So having somebody at hand in the audience is quite helpful for sure. I like the way you answered that. That is important for us to actually speak about it, to remove this whole taboo idea. And to work but together. That's, that's, the, that's the key thing, which is part of the, the work that I do individually, but also within the, uh, the Serenity Group. It's to, it's to bring that together, that, you know what, this is part of our faith. Mm-hmm. Huge mm-hmm. part of our faith. So finding that serenity, that peace, that wellness, it's encouraged in our faith. So why are we separating it then? Do you think we should have, since we mentioned this, and this is your point of view I'm asking, do you think we should have scholars, I'm talking scholars as in sheikhs or say, you know, speakers that you'll hear during uh, months of Ramadan and Muharram in particular, do you think they should like, um, I wouldn't say study and become, study psychology so, so much and get a degree, but maybe have courses on mental health uh, but this up. is where the experts come in to yeah. teach those courses. Yes, of course, of course. Yes, 
do you think have have we started this kind of um workshops for scholars who are traveling around the world and a lot of the times uh will probably end up dealing with a mental health issue uh and of course the the wise scholar the knowledgeable scholar will always advise for the person to seek the correct advice and that is by going to someone who's dealing with mental health but maybe even going through a workshop or doing a workshop where he could sort of give an answer a general answer to try and help that person that's maybe going through that depression are we doing that kind of stuff for 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 do you think do you we have a lot to catch up to okay. with okay. our other brothers and sisters in faith who who alhamdulillah are in that okay. path in that direction because they see how important it is there are lots of pastors and priests who are have going the combination that too. Direction? and i feel and i know as a fact there are um sheikhs and scholars with mental health training as well. Okay, very good. There there is a movement towards that because I think a lot of uh, the sheikhs and the scholars are recognizing uh the patients or the clients or the folks that come talk to them are mm-hmm. they're dealing with specific things. I mean, you have a lot of folks also dealing with the idea that, you know, that they're possessed by the jinn and and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. And, and then I've I've worked with a lot of scholars in the community where they would say, you know what, this is outside the realm of that. This person could be dealing with a psychotic breakdown. They need to go to see a doctor or psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. So there is this awareness now, alhamdulillah, and collaboration and working together. Um, but in terms of formal training, um, there, there's so much to do. We're not there yet. <laughs> there's so much to do. And alhamdulillah, I am working with the locals here in, in London and all over the place. So in the spirit of collaboration, we are moving towards that, alhamdulillah, our brothers and sisters in faith as well as uh, other muslims and brothers and sisters are developing these models to work with the sheikhs and have training for the scholars as well as there's the basic mental health 101s the basic uh it's called mental health first aid programs and so this is for anybody not just uh, scholars or or mental health pr- professionals it is meant for anybody just like first aid Yeah. Courses. These courses yeah. are for anybody to yeah. go and learn the basics on it and you know how to how to provide support for those who are struggling or to be aware. So we're definitely moving in that direction, inshallah. There's just so much yeah. uh to so many different things to work on and opportunity. It's hard to take on everything. I'm sure, I'm sure. I, I really hope that we can we can start these maybe workshops with, with your support. I want to move to something that's quite important. And You know, there's no denying that mental health is a serious, uh, serious concern. No one's denying that. But some people are, are are suggesting that mental health is being overdiagnosed and it's, it's sort of blown out of proportion. And they they give reasons that, you know, they say in particularly uh, uh, that the, the, there's the fi- a financial interest for pharmaceutical companies. to make uh, to make money and benefit from 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 an increase in antidepressant prescriptions um do you think that's the case you know because i've read sometimes you know some people saying you know we're overdiagnosing mental health is is there some truth to that so so let's back up a little bit to understand the difference with mental health and mental health illnesses okay We all have mental health, just like we have physical health, right? Of course. And so we take care of our physical health, whether it's eating, sleeping, exercise, medications if needed, if we're dealing, like I was saying earlier, with diabetes mm. or other such diseases, correct? And that's fine. There's no issues with that, right? So when it comes to mental health illnesses, 
we fall into illnesses when we don't take care of our mental health and well-being. So just like physical health, there is an aspect of taking care of your mental health with stress, for example, and things like that, right? So when this is off balance, then you fall into the area of, you know, my mental health is impacted. And if I don't, and if you don't take care of that, it could fall into illnesses. So these illnesses, and you're saying, are they overdiagnosed? And, mm -hmm. you know, is this related to the pharmaceutical market that's out there? It depends who you're speaking with. So if you're speaking with a psychiatrist or a medical doctor, perhaps you'll get a different answer than someone like me who cannot prescribe medication mm -hmm. and cannot diagnose, but definitely can assess. And so it depends on the different practitioners. Yes, there is a market out there. Yes, people can be overdiagnosed or misdiagnosed mm. when there could be different forms of treatment from cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, mindfulness, different strategies and, and learning basic things rather than right away being um, diagnosed with depression. All right, you need to take an antidepressant. So even if somebody is diagnosed with depression or anxiety, there are different strategies and treatments rather than the medical or, you know, medicinal treatment immediately. So it's, it's a, it's a tricky answer based on this idea. And again, because I'm a psychotherapist, which means that I can assess and do treatment, I don't actually diagnose and prescribe medication. You'll get a different answer from myself. Um, Talking, you mentioned, you know, some factors that lead, lead to mental health illnesses, because as you mentioned, you know, we all have mental health. It's just how you look after your mental mm -hmm. health, just like you look after your physical health. With your experience, um, what do you think the, ma the major factors are that contribute to mental health problems? Stress. Stress. Okay. Number one. Okay. Stress. We all experience stress, mm -hmm. wouldn't you say? Of course. And it's individual, it's customized, so to speak, in terms of what your um, surroundings are, your family, your environment, your work, your school. Your, there's so many different things around us that could impact what could cause you stress. Something that's stressful for you may not be stressful for me and vice versa. Yeah, people it, living in the Middle East are having different stress to what exactly. I'm having. Yeah, so. it's 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 about perspective as well, yeah. right? And your perception of it. Mm -hmm. You know, a stress for a six-year-old is quite different than a 16-year-old, mm -hmm. whereas a 16-year-old could laugh at the issue the six-year-old could have, right? But, it, it, it but it's very sense. individual. But the number one thing that I find contributes to the, the imbalance of our mental health is stress. And if that's not taken care of, then it could lead to these. A perfectly healthy young person uh, could experience issues at home you know, they're doing well in school, they've got good friends, um, you know, they've got good grades and all of a sudden something happens at home consistently over time, that could impact them. It could impact the way they do in school. It could impact their interactions with their friends, their work, et cetera. So if that's not taken care of and resolved, of course, it could increase that stress to the, to the point where this individual could withdraw from the, the usual interest, like I said, not do well in school. So then you see a cycle here. They're not doing well in school. Then they feel sad, upset, and they don't know what's happening. Next thing you know, they could have a panic attack. And if that's not taken care of, then it could continue in a vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. So you see how it could lead to that. It's almost a domino effect. So if you're aware 
and, you know, say, oh yeah, when I get stressed, I get, you know, chest pains, for example, when I get stressed, I lose my appetite or increase of appetite for some mm-hmm. people. Um, you know, they stop going to the gym, getting rid of those excess stress hormones and you want the adrenaline and, and happy Does going to the gym help with mental Absolutely. health? Absolutely. Yeah. Some form of physical activity would get rid of the cortisol and stress hormones that are just coursing around in your body, nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Whereas you have that influx of adrenaline, happy hormones, you feel good after, right? Mm-hmm. So part of balancing and taking care of the stress is and I prescribe, prescribe, I use that word loosely here, but it has to do with eating well, sleeping well, exercise, having good friendships and relations around you. Um, and of course, huge part is faith and spirituality. Okay. So when all of that is in balance, it can help manage your overall stress, which then takes care of your well-being and your mental health. Talking of, of, of faith and spirituality, to what extent to what extent does does faith actually and religion impact your your well-being mental health as we were saying earlier there is a, a significant link related to that in recent research um, and including like i said from different faiths but more recently research in muslim mental health mm-hmm. so there is a significant link it has to do, you know, when when you are doing your prayers or meditation, the whole point is to find that mindfulness, that calmness, right? Um, and this is separate from, of course, our worship to God, right? Okay. Which bring, I'm looking at it from this perspective. When the act of prayer, when you are linking it to, you know, your connection to God, does that not bring you inner peace? Is that not part of well-being? So that's the link I find. And if you look at recent research, it... it, it it looks at that from different perspectives and even the physical act of prayer in itself, it's almost yoga like, which we know has a huge benefit mm-hmm. to your overall well-being. So the links there are undeniable, of course. What are the, you know, a lot of people might be listening to this and, and experiencing some sort of a mental health problem, whether it's uh, sometimes being alone uh, whether it's uh, related to work, related to family, and and for some reason, a lot of people just like when you have like a physical issue. For example, you could have pains in your left arm or right arm or, or in your chest, and then you ignore it because you're like, okay, it's, go- it's it's going away. But then every time it comes back, you're like, okay, I'll see the doctor. But you sometimes, you know, that's how because we're living in in a life where everything's like running at a pace at you you sort of ignore that and again with mental health so i'm talking about people again from our communities they'll sort of brush it aside of and course. Say, i'll be okay in the morning or what kind of symptoms do you feel are are serious enough for people to say i'll have to go and check this out um you know i can't i can't continue like this mm-hmm. whether it's um it's having, you know, a lot, you know, I'm talking from, from what I've heard, you know, some people might say there's voices in my, you know, are coming to me and say, do this or do that. With or, the voices immediately go see a doctor. Yeah. yeah. Because you could have a psychotic breakdown that could lead you to do things that are uncharacteristic, but harmful to yourself and others. Okay. So these are the extreme cases, but within the our- The less extreme? The less extreme would be again around hygiene, you know, mm-hmm. people losing their hygiene, they could okay. lose their interest in- activities they were once engaged in, not doing well in school, 
poor performance at school, poor relationships, things like that are signs, but for a long period of time. I mean, we all have off days. Yeah, we have course. down days, you know, yeah. up days, and, and those things are normal. It becomes an issue when this is consistent for, and again, there's no specific chunk of time, but a good amount of time where you notice that you are off, or if you notice other people are off. That's another thing. The okay, person themselves may not be aware or in denial. Mm-hmm. So if you're noticing that uh, with people around you, then, you know, you can gently bring it up. You know, maybe we can go to the doctor together, encourage them uh, and, and attending the appointments together, setting it up, setting an appointment, um, and, you know, being there to listen to somebody. Yeah, being supportive and non-judgmental is huge. Community support is very important. I think, um, and again, like you mentioned, we're, we're still behind maybe different Muslims. Uh, we're behind uh, people from different faiths. But what, and, and again, th- I feel passionate about this because sometimes I feel I, I can sense seeing someone is going through a breakdown. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, this is not pointing fingers at anyone or saying that, you know, this community doesn't do enough or whatever. The reality is we've all experienced it. But I feel like when they do go to the, to the, to the center or to those people that are supposed to help, you'll get the typical not and again this is being in general you'll get the typical answer of you know you'll be okay tomorrow or attend the majlis and you'll be okay and listen listen to the the lecture and you'll be all right listen read some quran and some duas and you'll be fine there's nothing wrong with you how can the our communities be more supportive of people that are actually suffering from mental health other than telling them, listen to the lecture and you'll be fine. And there, there is an impact there, of course. You know, mm-hmm. there could be something in that lecture that could change somebody or be, they could be inspired. Absolutely. And, okay. and, but then again, this comes down to what we were saying earlier is, are those folks properly trained to be giving proper advice? Mm-hmm. Right? So it comes down to that. I think there, there needs to be a realization from our centers that you need to have a mental health professional there, just like you have a women's committee, a youth committee, nice. a sheikh, you know, a scholar who scholar. who's there resident to help with the community. So you'll have a resident mental Absolutely. health Absolutely. And okay. if we take a look at the model at the Jaffari Center in Toronto, mm-hmm. they have a social services center. Very nice. With a professional there for the community who not only, is, you know, does events there, and I'm actually working with them on an event coming up soon in Toronto, but are there for people to come and speak Now, the flip side of that, when it comes to our community specifically, is that folks may not want to go and talk to somebody from the community because of confidentiality. That is the flip side of that. Mm. So some folks would rather go to somebody outside outside because Mm. of that. And that's fine. And that's okay. As long as they're reaching out to get help. So our community heads, bless them for all the hard work that they do. I think this is something that would be amazing if we could include in our centers models to offer that support, because then what happens is that you're normalizing it. Just like you would go to the sheikh, you know, if there's a family dispute or you need, you know, an issue or an istikhara or a question or a marriage or a divorce. If we have an expert in this field alongside with the scholar, imagine the the duo, the, the powerful combination of that offered for our community. It'd be amazing. Of course. Uh- I want to ask you also about because uh, there's there's a stage when um, when women because we, sp- we spoke about women and and depression and uh, 
We didn't There's, actually answer that question yeah, earlier. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, and you can answer yes. after after this question. <laughs> you can answer to both of them. Inshallah. The, the 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 concept of of the, that period when when women give birth. Uh, usually the doctor or the midwife at the hospital will say there's that period and they, they give out leaflets where where women feel a bit depressed after giving birth. Postpartum depression. Ah, um, and sometimes they'll ask this question, and this is what this is what I want to concentrate on. They, they, they'll ask, have you got family or friends around you? Uh, is your husband supportive? Is your mother around? And uh, they'll ask these questions because they feel that having someone around... Uh, will help Absolutely. with this. And which brings me to this important concept of Salat al-Raham. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is where the, the, my question is. I know I've you can answer the, the, the part about women as well, but the concept of Salat al-Raham, which is the concept of having good relationship with your family members, um, is a concept that is encouraged in Islam. Absolutely. Does this concept help with? Uh, and I, I bought this example of of pregnant women and going through this this having the, the proper support. Uh, yeah. How important is it to have good relationships with your family members, um, your relatives, uh, and does this help with the mental health issue? It's vital. It's one of the things we were talking about earlier: what to have and what to include to maintain good mental health. So you encourage people to, if they're coming to see you and they're, they're not speaking to Well, them. they're coming to me sometimes because of family problems okay. and toxic relationships. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when we incorporate Salat al-Raham here, it becomes very challenging and tricky because they could be having an issue with a parent or a sibling or a cousin or an uncle. Mm-hmm. And this is causing them to feel unhappy. There could be abuse going on as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, within the home and that is contributing to the way that they're feeling so it is tricky and there are rulings around that within our own faith and and scholars and maraja Um, and that is something again you you have to go and read more about and ask more about but Mm -hmm. uh, but definitely there's a linkage there to your overall well-being when it comes to that if you have toxic relationships with people of course it's going to impact you and so we encourage you know when we say get rid of your toxic relationships Mm -hmm. we have to be careful here as well because these relationships the toxic ones could be because of family yeah and so it's tricky it's difficult and and so this is not i can't give a black and white answer this is a discussion and so the counseling process in itself can be helpful for people let's say young folks who are living at home with their parents where there is fighting amongst the mom and the dad and there's physical abuse as well let's say Mm -hmm. it becomes very hard and so I've i've actually had cases where i've worked with the the family and the, the sheikhs involved in these situations. And so, like I said, it's not a, a cut, a cookie cut answer to dealing with these issues. It's a whole process. Now, to answer specifically family support, that is important in the healing process, in the treatment process. And so family, if they can be on board in terms of understanding, learning more about this issue, reading more, asking questions, they can provide the support to the person in their family that is dealing with the issue as well. You can answer the part about the the woman. Do, do, you know, I, I, it's just because I read this 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 research that said women are twice as likely to face to face mental health issues. Uh, with from your experience, is that is that the case? Um, and if so, why do you think that is the case? So I, again, this is a there's a multitude of ways to answer this. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, I've got a few workshops on the topic of relationships and communication. And 
it's uh, it's funny in the sense um, how it could be gender based as well. Okay. So again, this is a this is I'm definitely generalizing here because uh, this is not in the case of all women and men. But uh, you know, when you take the idea, women when they are dealing with an issue, what do they like to do? Mm-hmm. They like to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Right. They like to talk about it. Men, they are groomed to be tough and strong and okay. don't cry. And so they keep it to themselves. Okay. So okay. you see, you see where I'm getting at yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. So the numbers I would say could be a little bit skewed in that sense okay. is that Makes women sense. are more likely to go and seek support and help well, because they're men more, won't feel embarrassed, feel embarrassed. Um, you know, we're, I, I would say now that it's changing. The culture of that is changing where, um, men are more likely to come and seek help. And I see a huge amount of men that come to, to ask for support in our center where I work. So, and, and also Muslim as well. Mm-hmm. Muslim men are coming to get help as well. So, like I said, there's not a, a one answer yeah. for that. Yeah. I would say uh, it is because women are more likely to go and seek help because women will talk about an issue and men will hold back and go to their caves, so to speak. These are concepts from the, um, the doctor, um, John Gray, where he talks about men are from Mars and women are from Venus. He has a whole book series on that, which I find brilliant. And it's very pop culture, but there's so much psychology involved in there mm-hmm. in terms of how we're wired, how we deal with things, how we deal with stress, how we communicate, what our basic emotional needs are and how miscommunication can occur. And he talks about the idea of how when women have an issue, they will talk about it, whereas men will go to their cave. And so mm-hmm. I, I'd say that's very much related to the statistics when it comes to that, for sure. Talking of, of, of going to, to, to your cave and, um, women speaking about uh, mental health there's 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 a correlation between your mental health well-being i feel and your the lifestyle that you have absolutely so um, and of course we we know that islam recommends uh, a balance between everything whether you know you know you don't want someone to islam tells you i don't want someone to be in the mosque 24 hours a day in, in salah and he's fasting and no i want someone to actually go out and and, and bring food for their family and work mm-hmm. as well as there's a time for maybe leisure how important for someone do you think for someone to have good well mental health is it for them to let's say organize their their life their lifestyle um, and what other advice would you give for someone to have a good and well mental health? I'm always inspired by the saying of Imam Musa al-Kalam where he talks about dividing up your time into fours, right? Mm. And it's always about that balance, the time for worship, leisure, yourself and work. Did I get all four correct? Personal time, yeah. Mm. Uh, so, and family, yeah. So that for me is the epitome and the essence of well-being right there. Nice. Right. So mm-hmm. if we incorporate that concept into all of our lives and it's not easy to do, though, you know, sometimes you have a father and mother working really hard to make ends meet. Mm. Meanwhile, they sacrifice time with their families. Family. The children suffer. And I've seen that from kids. Who their say, relationship as well will suffer, maybe. Uh, it could because of, but then it's also the quality of time. You could make yeah. up that time at the end of the day, yeah. no matter how tired you are, right? Yeah. So sometimes it's it's a struggle to to balance all four of those things. When you're doing all that, when when is there time to worship? When is there time to for leisure? When is there time for yourself to reflect when you're trying to make ends meet? It, it can be quite a struggle for people, absolutely. But we want to work towards that balance. And it is important to have that balance because I see the folks who are off balance, so to speak. 
And so in the counseling session, in the process of it, we try to, to, you know, look at strategies to get back to that balance. And we all experience that. I myself as a counselor have experienced that time and time again because of the influx, you could say, of cases that I see. It just comes to a point sometimes where I shut down. I have to take time off. I have to rebalance myself. So I'm a counselor and I experience this. What if the person who, you know, an everyday person, so to speak, you know, um, Muhammad Ali or Jane, John Smith, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, like anybody, I'm just using that name loosely here, but just anybody experiencing that. If we are experiencing that and we're in the field, then anybody can. So it's so important that when you recognize your own stress symptoms, the things that are causing you to go off balance, you have to learn to reverse the effects of that. So I'll give you an example. In my case, I recognized that I could not sit one more session with a young person telling me they're dealing with depression, suicide, anxiety, or stress. I recognized I just could not do it anymore. Mm. So I had to take time off mm -hmm. and rebalance myself. I felt that I was unhappy, that I felt, I, I felt spiritually disconnected as well. Mm. I wasn't eating well. I recognized I wasn't going to the gym as much. And I thought I was doing everything okay. But no, I, I, I recognize at one point, hey, you know, I'm not feeling it anymore. I'm feeling off. I love what I do. I'm absolutely passionate about it. But I felt off balance. It was too much. So I took time off reflecting, mm -hmm. you know, spending time with my daughter, with friends, family, mm -hmm. really increasing that because I was missing that with the overload of work. So it's so important to recognize what throws you off so you can rebalance yourself. We're human after all. And again, with that beautiful saying of the imam, balancing. Mm -hmm. And when you're off balance, you will know it. You will see it. I guess, you will feel it. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess, you know, this brings me to, the, to, to my next uh, question is maybe you are, you know, you're overloaded with work because there's not enough professionals in the mental health issue that are doing what you're and it's an amazing job and uh, may Allah bless you for, for bless doing you what too. you're doing and, and we need more people do you think we need more professionals in mental health in our communities and if so um, what kind of, of, of experts because with, with mental health it's different experts as you mentioned someone that like for example you don't prescribe medicine but uh, someone with a different role will um do we need more people in this profession? And do we need to encourage the elders to encourage their children? Because as you, we started this, this with that every parent wants the, and that we're talking about our communities, a doctor or a muhandis, so as they engineer, say, yeah. an engineer. Yes. Um, do we need to encourage our youth to actually go into this field? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a very rewarding field, but you can burn out easily if you don't take care of your mm -hmm. well-being and balance as well. Uh, but it's also important when we talk about encouraging our youth from parents to look at their strengths, their abilities, mm -hmm. their talents, not to try and live, you know, the parents' dreams through their children, but to really recognize what are their abilities and their talents and to nurture that. So if somebody is a good listener, somebody who has the interest in helping others, um, there's so many different fields that you can get into for that, of course. But in encouraging people in this field, I would say um, within our communities, it would be incredible. It would be, and, and I've seen an increase in that over the last few years, alhamdulillah. So it's getting there as well. And, and again, I, you know, our, you know, bless our elders. They they come from a different generation and time. 
and they looked at issues differently than the way we are now. Yeah, for sure. and, and there's also a variety of different challenges now that our young people are dealing with that perhaps the parents are not equipped or unaware of, especially, you know, the rise of social media and the impact of that on our youth. And that has a huge impact on their mental health and well-being. I have clients who come in and tell me that they're feeling depressed because not many people liked their picture, so to speak, <laughs> or they want wow. to be a YouTube influencer as a job. Like when I ask them, what do you want to do with your degree? I want to be a YouTube influencer. Perhaps I come from a generation where I look at them like this, you know, like really, but I'm trying to job? understand it's a job, but okay. it's never existed in our parents' time, not probably your time or my time. Mm -hmm. Yet young people are saying they want to do that. Mm -hmm. So we, that tells you right there, there's a huge shift. And so For we sure. need to understand the issues of the day. And of course you need experts to understand these issues and of course, encourage people to get into it. Right. How else are we going to have, you, you, you mentioned something so important yeah. and that is social media. What's the correlation between social media and mental health well-being? Because with the rise of social media, I feel like there's been a rise in mental health illnesses and problems and from 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 a simple uh, i'm not getting enough likes or i'm not getting the perfect selfie this for some leads into depression uh and i'm not just talking about uh what we see outside our communities but it's now even within our communities where social media is affecting people's mental health issues. How, how would you help someone with that? You know, if someone comes to you and says, you know, I'm depressed because I'm not getting the perfect, not getting enough so, followers on uh, blah, blah. Of course. Um, so again, there is not one single answer to that because it's a process. Mm. We get down to the root of the issue. I find that the common denominator is self-esteem, mm -hmm. self-confidence, belief in yourself. So when you're constantly comparing yourself to others, the grass is greener on the other side, mm -hmm. that person has more likes than, than me. Does that mean that person is better? Are they living a better, happier life? We mm. know that that's not the case. case. What is portrayed out there on social media is not exactly the reality that people may be living in. Uh, recently I had a client tell me, you know, I wasn't feeling that well, that good, even though we had a session before where he spoke about uh, the likes issue. He said, even though I didn't feel that good, I still went and posted something and I realized that I was still able to do that, but I wasn't feeling that good. So he admitted straight up that he wasn't feeling that good, but he wanted to post something. And then he found out later that that kind of helped him. No, I'm, I'm still trying to figure that one out myself, mm. but it was interesting to see how much that is embedded and ingrained in our young people's lives. Even our parents are, well, you know, Facebook now, that's the mm. big thing for our parents and WhatsApping. Mm. It, it's it's we're all impacted by it, but differently depending on your age and your demographic, but it does have a huge impact on you. And, um, the influence can be frightening because there are some young people who've taken their lives because wow. of cyberbullying and online bullying. And, um, and it could lead to that depression and isolation and feeling that there, there's hopelessness, there's despair, that there's nothing to live for. If these people are bullying me and making fun of me, what's the point? I don't want to live and I've heard these words before. So it does exist and we cannot ignore it. We have to take it seriously. But I think it also comes with teaching our young folks, you know, building their sense of self, their self-worth, their self-esteem, self-love. And I don't mean that in an egotistic point of view, but rather loving who they are and recognizing their weaknesses and their strengths and their limits 
but learning how to build from that, right? Mm -hmm. And it comes with acceptance. And that's a process in itself. It's not like an overnight thing that you can right away say, you know, I accept my faults and my weaknesses. It's a process. And the it's counseling process. process in itself can really help and, and increase that. Well, uh, you know, um, we've sadly had to come to the end of today's podcast. I, myself, I've learned so much in the, in the last few minutes with you. Um, I'm sure our listeners as well would have learned a lot about uh, mental health. I, I have realized that the, the issue of mental health is not just uh, something that a counselor or someone that's involved in in a, in a career can, can help in. But I think it's especially with us as a community, everyone has to be involved. Uh, yes. Everyone has yes. to do to do their bit uh, for this issue to to sort of remove it from it being a taboo, which we've we, I feel we've we've kind of reached that stage where we, we're speaking about it. But now to be more involved as a community for it, um, inshallah, this will help and encourage. I'm sure your words will help and encourage people inshallah. to to read, um, raise awareness about it in different communities. And I wish you. Uh, the best in your in what you're doing you know i i feel that just like uh, a scholar has a role in our communities just like uh, a teacher has a role in, in in building the youth just like a mother has a role in building the next generation and the father of course you also have a very important role so uh, as they say i raise my hat to you sister and wish you all the best uh, and inshallah we pray that we'll move towards that direction where we're doing more for our people, where it doesn't reach a stage of someone taking their lives. Inshallah. Inshallah. Thank and you. Thank you, brother, so much for your kind words. And I do want to bring awareness, especially because we are here in England, that we mm. do have these resources here. Of course. We have Inspirational Minds mm -hmm. at Stanmore. Uh, the center over there so mm. folks can reach out there and they will be discreetly referred to the right support from Sister Farzana who runs that program there and we also have the Muslim Youth uh, Hotline here Help that line. is accessible yeah, the helpline yeah, yeah. so these are incredible resources that we have in our community people who are yeah. passionate about this topic and, and you know encourage anybody who's listening if you find that you are struggling or if you see somebody who's struggling yeah. please use the resources that are available you don't have to suffer alone there are people here to help you and who who believe it's not just a job for us. Mm -hmm. We truly believe in this and, and, and care about you. So I hope whoever is out there listening and struggling, please use these resources. Bless you all. Thank you. Thank you, sister.